0: Hello and welcome to our podcast on mass claims and the new European Directive on Collective Redress. Um, my name is Martina Van Weingarten. I'm litigation partner at Freshfields, based in Frankfurt. And I will walk you through this podcast together with my partner Martin Mekhardt, also litigation partner and mass claims specialist based in Frankfurt. We will be joined by Jan-Henning Buschfeld, who is a principal associate at Freshfields based in Düsseldorf and has extensive experience with cartel follow-on claims. Well, Martin, um, the European Directive on Collective Redress has finally been passed. It has been discussed extensively already when it was still in draft form. And when we talk to our partners in other European jurisdictions, some of them said, especially, for example, colleagues in the Netherlands, there's only little need for change in their jurisdiction. My sense is that in Germany, the implementation of the new directive might be a real game-changer. What's your assessment?
1: Uh, I'm fully with you on this one, uh, Martina, I think if you you compare to the previous system with our declaratory model action, the Musterfeststellungsklage, it's a major step forward. I mean, many of the restrictions that we had, like that uh, in the Musterfeststellungsklage you could only sue for declaratory relief or the fact that you had an opt-in system, I mean, there's way more flexibility here. I mean, there's no more restriction on declaratory uh, measures as we had had it before. And the um, directive also gives a a choice to the member states to provide at the national level either uh, an opt-in system or even an opt-out system. So I don't think that is where the the German lawmaker will go to. But in terms of what is possible under the the, uh, directive, uh, I mean, it's a major step forward. I mean, there's two-step division where... Uh, customers would need to, to file later uh, for individual lawsuits has just fallen away. So I I fully join you from a German pers- perspective. We have a whole new situation.
0: Um, the biggest test case for the German declaratory model action was the claim against Volkswagen. Um, and presumably from the perspective of the, the legislator, it was quite a success because um, the Verbraucherzentrale, Bundesverband, filed this lawsuit right after the act was enacted. More than 300,000 consumers joined the class action. It was settled. Roughly 250,000 consumers received a payment from, from Volkswagen. Now, this new directive requires that or stipulates that the claims, which can be or which should be covered under the regime, have to have some basis in European regulations or directives or rules. Would there be any scope for a claim based on tort, meaning not based on European law? Uh, Could such a claim like the Volkswagen claim be filed under the new regime?
1: Martina it's a very good question, and I think it's uh, uh, it's not easy to answer a lot will depend on how the the German lawmaker will actually implement the directive and I think basically there are two options i mean there could be either a unified system which provides for basically something along the lines what what we have seen in the in the directive or a combination of it with previous trades of the declaratory model action or there could be two separate systems where you have like the the, the old um, declaratory model action, Musterfeststellungsklage, which basically provides for declaratory relief for all disputes between a consumer and the uh, and trader and only the payment relief for these very specific uh, European provisions that are listed in the in the annex uh, of the European Directive. But I think at least if I was the German lawmaker, I think there is a huge risk for consistency if you have two separate systems because you would get more, uh, more relief and a direct right for payment for European provisions it would get less for all other more general claims which would be some sort of an inconsistency so therefore i could in specific cases come to unjust results on the one hand and also on the other hand what i think is uh, is something which would be very peculiar is often these cases are very entangled between what is covered by european law and what is covered under under german law so you could have a case where like some parts relate to the sales directives or financial sector regulations or, or any other pieces of uh, european law which are covered by the directive but also related to more more basic aspects of german law which are not covered by the directive so it would be very uh, difficult to separate in a for a tribunal to what is covered by the directive and what is not so i assume that the uh, German lawmaker will ultimately go for something which is slightly going beyond uh, the list of provisions that we we see currently in this annex because otherwise the practical problems will just be enormous for, for tribunals.
0: Yeah, I'm afraid you will be right or proven right at the end of the day. Early drafts of the directive mentioned the buzzword discovery. Which kind of send off alarm bells with German litigators. Um, recent amendments proposed by the European Parliament propose that, or, and which are now also part of the directive, say that disclosure should be kept narrow and is limited to what is proportionate. Do you think that there is a real danger? that the European directive and the implementation thereof might lead to something like disclosure through the back door in Germany?
1: This risk is real. I mean, the first draft of the directive, as you say, I mean, this was from a classic German litigator's point of view, I mean, that was uh, atrocious, really dangerous in the sense that you really saw like US style uh, discovery coming. And I mean, in the version that we that we see now, it has gotten somehow better, but I mean, they have, they have put in these safeguards for confidentiality and proportionality that you mentioned, but also they have now taken this very interesting concept where they say, I mean, it's not for the initial means of evidence, so they need to have some sort of a, they call it already provided reasonably available evidence sufficient to support a representative action, and it's only for additional evidence where they have stipulated this disclosure provision but i think in practice how this will be handled by judges is still far beyond what we have seen under the classic german rules so i think it's a it's a major step forward and we must not forget i mean we will see a sort of like a pan-european movement uh, where we see application of these rules in different countries so we may not be where we are in the United States with pre-trial discovery. I don't think that is uh, possible under under the new Article 18. However, it's, it's a huge step forward. And we're not uh, anymore in this classic German setting where you need to bring all your own means of evidence for the facts where you have the burden of proof. So, I mean, that's not where we are anymore.
0: Um, the discussion about the German declaratory model action was always centered around, we do not want American-style class actions in Germany. Now, under the new European regime, the entity which may file a collective redress action must be a qualified entity, and the number of entities who will be qualified will be limited. Do you think that uh, by limiting the right to file such an action to certain entities, American-style class actions can be avoided. And first question, and second question, do you think that the financial incentives are strong enough for the qualified entities to really start litigating heavily?
1: Yeah, I mean, two incredibly important points, Martina. And if I take them in turns, in terms of like the bottlenecks that we have under this final draft of the directive, the restriction of, on qualified entities is probably one of the biggest and most important ones. And I mean, what we have seen in Germany is really that the definition of qualified entities was so restrictive that the numbers of uh, declaratory model actions that were expected by the by the German lawmaker they actually ne- never really reached. I mean, they expected four hundreds, and right now we have a good dozen of uh, of claims that were filed under the, the the German regime. So I think it's the the qualified entities restriction is probably one of the the most important ones. However, I think what is really interesting here is the cross border element. So it's not restricted anymore to what's happening in G- in Germany as long as the requirements are met a qualified entity can sue even if it's based in in Cyprus in the Netherlands uh, France or Italy so i think we will see more movement and more pan european movement and it will definitely be be better than what and more active as um yeah as a claimant market in the sphere than what we've seen before will we be in in the US in a US comparable setting I think the answer would still be uh, would still probably be no, huh? because basically there's no success fee uh, rules, at least not, not in, in Germany, and there's still like a, a huge restrictive element on who's able to bring claims. Huh? So therefore, I think we're not as open as a litigation market under this directive than what colleagues in the US may see. On the second part of your question, in terms of like the the cost provisions and the, the financial rules, is also very interesting. And what I found really uh, peculiar about the discussion was the importance that was given to the loser-pays rule. And so far, I mean, we already have a loser-pays rule in, in Germany, and I think we hardly say that it discourages a lot of litigation. So therefore, I would not think that it's really a strong factor. What I find more interesting is the restrictions that we have in terms of third-party funding and what we have seen in the final draft is that there's like certain independence requirements on what funding can do and what it can't do and it will remain to be seen what loopholes are still there and from what i've seen in discussions with my colleagues there from experience in certain national systems there's still a, a few aspects on the funding restrictions that seem to, to create such loop loopholes in the in the current set of rules that we have under the under the directive. So remains to be seen how this will actually really help in curtaining and uh, curbing the number of representative actions under the directive.
0: Well it will take two years until the directive is implemented in Germany, presumably. And right now, the German legal market is dominated by, one, declaratory model actions, but two, by assignment models. Ja, yeah, Hausfeld is collecting claims in, in one massive action and is then uh, suing defendants collectively. Will this model be dead once we have the implementation of the European Directive?
2: No, Martina, I don't think so, even though it's hard to foresee for which cases the new European class action will be used in practice in the future. The most important areas where we see assigned models in the German legal market at the moment are diesel claims, car damages claims, claims by tenants for rental repayments, and now in particular driven by the Corona crisis, claims for flight cancellations. However, the possible playgrounds for assignment models are nearly unlimited as long as the claim itself can be assigned to someone else. And often these are small scale consumer claims. And for consumer claims, the legal service provider using assignment models will compete with the European class action as they already do with the declaratory model action in Germany. On the other hand, there are other areas where the European class action may not be an alternative because of its limitation to consumer claims and to certain European directives and, and regulations. For example, in the area of antitrust law and, and cartel damages claims, such claims have so far been brought by businesses and not by consumers. And it's very unlikely that, that we will see a strong increase in consumer claims in that area of antitrust follow-on and litigation in the future. So I think that the European class action will not render assignment models obsolete in particular for claims which do not fall under the scope of the new regime. But the competition between assignment models and the European class action will also depend on how it will be implemented into German law. So the future will ultimately tell us for which areas the European class action becomes relevant and which cases can be tackled better by bringing a class action or by assigning a claim to a legal service provider.
0: The assignment models are technically complicated and the question of whether the model itself is valid and admissible is subject to quite some debate. In practice, it takes forever to litigate these cases and um, claimants need years and years to reach a final result. Do you foresee any legislative changes in Germany which might impact this scenario?
2: Yeah, indeed. I think the legislator will react to the new developments and and a change of law actually is likely ahead of us in 2021, triggered by the recent development, because as you mentioned, there is indeed quite a lot of debate and activity in the German legal services market. What we see is a large number of service providers using these assignment models to collect and enforce claims in different areas of laws. And these providers have in common that they operate on a debt collection permit under the German Act on Legal Services, which is mandatory for non-lawyers if they want to provide legal services in Germany. And due to the new business models, including the use of legal tech solutions that have emerged over the last years, there has indeed been a lot of debate about the admissibility of the new business models. And in November 2019, that debate climaxed in a first landmark decision by the German Federal Court of Justice. And the Federal Court of Justice decided that the debt collection permit is to be understood generously, also allowing for court actions brought by legal service providers. And debt collection providers are also allowed to agree contingency fees, which is generally not open for lawyers, as Martin mentioned earlier. So with this decision, one might think now that all the problems have been solved for legal service providers, but it's not that easy because in order to determine whether an assignment model is still covered by the debt collection permit, the Federal Court of Justice requires an individual assessment of the circumstances of each case. And that makes it now quite difficult to determine whether a specific model is still permissible or not. And that is exactly what we see in the case law following the November decision by the Federal Court of Justice, because in fact, court of the first instances have dismissed several actions brought by legal service providers by holding that the debt collection authorization was exceeded by the respective legal service provider. That includes, for example, a 600 million euro claim in the trucks cartel. Other courts have ruled that a settlement reached by the legal service provider without the consent of the customers could lead to conflict of interest because it's not guaranteed that the service provider solely pursues the customer's interests. And according to other decisions, a conflict of interest also exists when an external litigation funder is involved whose role is not purely passive. So that's the background that the German legislature faces now. And uh, indeed this year in mid-November, the federal ministry of justice published a draft bill to promote consumer-oriented offers in the legal services market and first of all the draft bill aims at providing a consistent regulatory framework for lawyers and legal service providers as already said lawyers are not allowed to agree contingency fees whereas such fees are open to legal service providers and in order to eliminate this unequal treatment the draft bill provides that lawyers can also agree contingency fees under uh, certain circumstances, including for debt collection services. The other aim of the draft bill is to increase the transparency of new business models for assignments models. Service providers who work for consumers will have to comply with special information requirements in the future. They will also be required to provide more information about their business model when they apply for registration to ensure better scrutiny by the authorities, including information about their financing and contingency fees. However, the the big shortcoming of the draft bill is that it does not define the scope of the debt collection permit itself, since the draft wants to leave that question to the courts in case law. So the big elephant in the room, what is allowed by such a debt collection permit will not be solved by the new law. And moreover, I think the draft misses opportunity to deliver a coherent system with the model declaratory action and the future european class action because depending on how the scope of the debt collection permit will be interpreted by the courts the registration as a legal service provider may offer the opportunity to avoid the regulations for qualified organizations under the model and class action regimes
0: well, thank you, Jan Henning. Um, thank you also, Martin. I think this was a very interesting overview of the legislative changes that are coming upon us and all the challenges that are connected with it. Thank you for listening.